Have you ever wished you could just bottle up this podcast and be able to reference your favorite nuggets whenever you need them? That's exactly why I wrote Parenting with Pride. It's filled with all of the stories, tools, and wisdom of Just Breathe, plus so much more. I cannot wait to get this book to you, and it will be available to ship on May 14th. But you can pre-order it now on your favorite online bookstore or click the link in the show notes. If you have a favorite independent bookstore nearby, ask them to order it. It is perfect for their Pride Month campaign. As much as I love bringing you this podcast, this book, Parenting with Pride, Unlearn Bias and Embrace, Empower and Love Your LGBTQ Teen is next level. Part instruction manual, part warm hug. It is what every parent, ally and open-minded curious listener needs. Order it today. Welcome to Just Breathe, Parenting Your LGBTQ Teen. My name is Heather Hester, and I'm excited to be with you to transform the conversation around loving and raising an LGBTQ child. Wherever you are on this journey, right now, in this moment in time, you are not alone. My guest today is Maureen Kibo. Because October is National Depression Awareness Month and this past Saturday was World Mental Health Day, I wanted to share someone who is an expert in mental health well-being with all of you. Maureen is a well-being therapist and is certified in the neuroaffective relational model, which is a cutting-edge model for addressing attachment, relational, and developmental trauma. She earned her bachelor's degree in psychology from the University of Michigan and her master of arts in counseling from Loyola. She is also trained in Reiki, meditation, and intuitive healing. On a personal level, Maureen is extraordinarily special to me because she is my therapist and has been for over five years. The work we have done together has truly changed my life, and I can unequivocally say that I would not have been able to navigate the past four years or be the person I am today without her support. So without further ado, welcome, Maureen, and thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'm so glad. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll just start with a really general question today, which is, who should enter into therapy? Uh, I like that question. Um, You know, I think anybody who would like to have um, some support should enter into therapy. You know, I, I'm actually glad that you gave me this question, because I, a lot of times I have, you know, parents or friends or relatives, all very well meaning, you know, who may call me or reach out to me and so-and-so needs therapy, so-and-so needs help, so-and-so needs support, you know, I'm happy to share with them a little bit about what I do and then say, if so-and-so would like to contact me, I'd be happy to speak with them for a little while to see if it would be something 
that would be helpful to them, you know? And I think my message here is, um, you know, really, you know, in my opinion, you know, the healing happens within the client, within the context of the relationship, you know, I'm trained as a relational therapist and that's where the healing happens. So that person has to want to show up. They don't have to necessarily, they can also be annoyed, frustrated, they can be a mess, but there has to be some small piece of them that would like, you know, whatever it was that they would like for themselves that I could help them with. But it really is important that that person wants to be participating. So Right. Because otherwise it won't work. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's also, there's also, um, you know, from, from my perspective and really from the neuroaffective relational model training that, that I've done, you know, there's this whole thing that can sometimes happen where, you know, folks are already dealing with whatever environmental, developmental, relational trauma they're dealing with. And then they're, you know, you know, put in therapy. I'm using air quotes for the audience. And, you know, if they are then pathologized and or made to feel like they are broken and the superior person is coming in to fix them, there's a whole another layer of traumatization happening. Um, and I, I'm not saying that everyone who is in the medical world or using the medical, utilizing more medical models is, is like that. But I mean, it, it happens a lot more than, than I would like it to, because <laughs> I would like it to not happen at all. And I think wow. it's, and I think it's pretty prevalent, you know, um, anytime that, 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 yeah, there's a power differential and maybe someone doesn't want to be there. And I'm not saying there's not some, you know, nudging that we can do or some, you know, supporting someone and, and, and wanting them to be getting help for themselves, but that's different than, than having something done to you. Oh, see, I know it's going to, I already lost my train of thought. I told you it was going to happen a lot. What I wanted to say about the neuroaffective relational model is there's a whole piece in there about like, we don't want to objectify people, you know, because then you're right. just, they're just this object over here that's broken or, you know, and that's just not, that's not a position that I would ever want to be in. And I hope that that others in this line of work would, would take that seriously as well, because it's a really, um, a really traumatizing experience to be objectified. Absolutely. And I think that's, um, that's such a good point. And it's something I don't think people really think about until they've either been in that situation or they've seen somebody be in that situation, you know, with us specifically with Connor, um, you know, he went through, what, a year and a half, two years of therapy, different therapists before he was like, oh, I actually want to be part of this process. Yeah. And so he definitely experienced a lot of what you were just talking about, which is, you know, probably I'm sure added to his feeling of I need to be fixed. I am broken. There is something yeah. wrong with me, right? Yeah. Instead of you know, and I think a lot of that too is finding the right person. Yeah. 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 And I think so. that was such a lovely part of his story, if I may opine, um, is about yeah. how much space he was given, you know, there wasn't, you know, there was something needs to happen, but you know, there were many options. There was a lot of, there was a lot of space for him, but there was, you know, um, also there was some appropriate containment as he was going through what he was going through. And it was, you know, there were safety issues and, Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, yes, I think that's just, I know that I've had a couple of people reach out um, through the Facebook page saying, you know, my, 
I think my child really wants therapy or needs therapy, but they're, they don't want it or they're afraid yeah. of it or they're, yeah. you know, so I think these are really good things to think about and perhaps yeah. framing it in a different way. Yeah. So that especially, you know, our kids, yeah. um, don't feel like we're saying you're broken. Yeah. And I right? think it's especially important, um, as you consider adolescent development, you know, particularly if, um, you know, obviously like, you know, when there are safety issues, health concerns, if someone's really hurting themselves and, you know, there are things that have to be done as parents, of course, but, but one thing I would like, you know, parents to be mindful of, if you just think it would be, you know, helpful, or you think that they need their, just to, to think about presenting it as an option that they might not take you up on right away, but you want it to stay attractive. And the minute you force it down right. their throat, it's then no longer, attractive and any, you know, adolescence 101 is you tell me and I'll tell you, you know, um, (laughs) so, so it's, I just, just keeping that. And I know, you know, it's, it's complicated. It's, it's complex. And I'm certainly not saying that it's not warranted for parents to do something. And sometimes parents must, you know, put their child in a certain treatment or a certain setting um, Correct, but 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 how you do it and how you go about it and how you engage with them can really be powerful and important. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And um, I mean, and you know, you know all of this, but you know, with with what Connor went through, you know, it became pretty immediate that then we you know put it on the table for you know all for Isabel Grace and Rowan and, and, and Steve, you know, <laughs> if this is support, this, yeah. this support is available to you. So, yeah. yeah, you know, and I think that's, um, you know, like you said, if it's not an immediate health issue or safety issue, yeah. um, that just letting your kids know it's available as an option, right. as a tool and framing it as a tool and something that will help you know, help you right. help yourself. So anyway, just kind of along, along those lines, but just shifting a little bit. Um, I'd like to talk about depression, which is a little, a little more specific, yeah. um, but <clears throat> because it is national depression awareness month, what is your view of depression Um, you kind of, how do you think about it? And I know that, you know, we've talked about, you know, depression and then, um, physiological depression, kind of what, how do those work together? What is that? Yeah. I'm glad that you're asking that. Um, you know, first of all, it's complex and I'm, I'm already sitting here thinking about like four left un you know, unleft conversations from our previous part of this conversation. So I hope anybody listening to this, um, will, you know, know that we're certainly not going to cover everything, you know, well, one last thing about people who, who, uh, about going into therapy that I just want to add before we shift here is that, and this is, you'll appreciate this as part of your, part of your mission. You know, you don't want people to be alone. What you went through, you, glean so much from that and so much that now you're sharing it with folks. And that's the other thing. I don't want anybody to be alone with their pain, however they define it, whatever's going on with them. So it's, it's, there is something in, in reaching out and moving, you know, toward and being in relationship with whatever's going on inside of you that is profoundly helpful. And, and so that's my last thing about people who to go into therapy. Um, but no, shift, I love yeah. that. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for saying that because yeah. that is, really important. And I, I think that's so many, I'm actually really glad you said that because 
I think so many people do feel very, very alone and like they are the only ones. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then depending where they're getting their information, you know, there, there, you know, there's a lot of pathologizing around mental health, just there is. Um, And so it's, you know, it's hard to, for someone to, to view their own pain, their own internal uh, struggle process as, you know, needing help. Um, right. when, when they have these messages from cultural, even though depression has come so far, it's still, there's the undertone of, you know, the pathologizing it is strong, is strong, it you is. know? It yeah. Is. And so, and so I would like to talk about how I view, um, depression. And again, you know, this is not going to be a complete conversation, you know, there's, um, but, but in terms of, of the background, um, I often refer to, to depression as being in a collapsed state, right? So sort of a collapsed state of helplessness, if you will. I link that often to trauma that has happened, you know, and there's, there's, there's all different kinds of, of developmental, well, not all different kinds. There are multiple kinds of, of, of developmental trauma. There's, you know, relational trauma, and then there's, you know, developmental trauma. There's stuff that happens, you know, inside the home, outside the home. There's stuff that happens even just within the individual that feels traumatizing, you know, maybe struggling with their sexuality, can be a traumatic experience if they stay alone with sure. it, you know? Sure. Um, and so these sort of traumas can, can lead to collapse. And people will say, well, are you saying depression isn't real? No, not at all. So here's what I want to say is I want to say there is, you know, there's in, in there's brain, our developing brain, which is very unique to each individual, right? Now you have your um, genetics that go into that. So there's the genetics or epigenetics, which is referred to as, um, and then there's the, you know, whatever developmental phases, which everyone experiences those differently. And then right. there, and there are the, you know, um, the adverse childhood experiences that you may encounter inside and or outside the home. So all of these things are happening and going into your developing brain, hardwired into your brain. So yes, oftentimes, and then your brain is hardwired a certain way, and then you may make certain adaptations based on this wiring. One of those adaptations may be collapse. You know, one of those adaptations mm-hmm. may be substance use. One of those adaptations, you know, there's acting in and acting out, harming ourselves or harming others, you know. But so see how it gets all very intertwined, messy. pretty messy, yes. pretty messy, but but so good to, I think, to hold it in this way because, you know, it's just, there's a lot of healing that can happen. And that's not, I'm not, look, I'm not taking away anybody's medication, you know, especially, you know, that's a personal choice. And I don't necessarily think that the NARM model and or other models addressing developmental trauma can necessarily clear everything up perfectly, but it helps a lot. It helps a lot. It helps a lot. And I've seen some people, you know, I've seen all kinds of things, but it's a very personal choice in terms of, but, but just see how like science and uh, is a piece of it and and brain development is a piece of it. Yet there are these very real influential components that are outside of what you would consider science. Right. Right. Um, Right. I mean, the genetics piece is science, but there's, you know, the, there's, you know, developmental phases, everyone goes through those in very different ways, you know, and they right. can, if you, and for anybody who's listening, who's a parent, you know, as you've raised children, or if you're raising children, even, and, and particularly if you have more than one child and you see how, like, wait, you're in the same family having the same experiences and they are really having different experiences. 
because, oh, of, yeah. because, of, because of who they are. And then, you right. know, getting, and then getting to the adverse childhood experiences. I mean, we've got everything from, you know, abuse and neglect all the way to, you know, um, misattunement, you know, which I think is actually a largely overlooked, particularly uh, where we live here on the North Shore, Heather, mm-hmm. where, um, you know, there are perfectly well-meaning moms and dads out there who aren't listening to what their kids are saying and what they're wanting. They're saying, oh, but you're going to be a basketball player and you're going to go to business school and you're going to, I mean, I'm making this up, you know, right. but, but we've seen it happen, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah. And in, in various ways. And so just that, just that repeated experience of not being seen, not being heard, even if someone has no malice, even if someone thinks they're doing right by you, that right. repeated experience of not being seen, not being heard is very, can, can be traumatizing. And it does, it does, you know, impact strongly the individual developing and it impacts their brain and it impacts patterns that they, they have. So, 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 so depression, you know, is a real thing that is happening in people's brains in varying degrees, some of it depending on that genetic piece, but there's also a piece of it, which is this collapse and this, like this helplessness and this sort of like closing in on oneself, this, you know, people can describe it as, you know, giving up, um, you know, that, that whole, um, losing the desire for those things that used to be appealing, not wanting to get out of bed. I mean, these are all states of collapse. These are all states of collapse. That's so interesting. I never, I didn't realize that, or I guess I didn't, I've never thought about it. And that's then that framing. Yeah. Um, because well, some, you know. there's something really interesting happening in, I think in the, in the, I hope, I hope it continues to be a movement in the, in the world of, of psychology and of medicine that's really starting to address this um, developmental trauma piece more significantly. In June of 2018, the World Health Organization created a uh, diagnosis of complex post-traumatic stress disorder. So this is very different than, than not very different, there's overlap, but it is different than PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Post-traumatic stress disorder, that, that occurs with you know, a shock trauma you know, you get in a major car accident, you get, or you get attacked, you get whatever, something very, you know, now the, the complex post-traumatic stress disorder includes relational trauma, attachment trauma, developmental trauma. So where the PTSD is really, is really defined by um, a couple characteristics. One is, uh, you know, experiencing threat, being in that state of being threatened, and then avoidance, like some kind of trying to avoid, and mm-hmm. then, uh, and then, of course, re-experiencing, you know, not on purpose, but like getting triggered and re-experiencing. Now, complex post-traumatic stress disorder has all of those things, but also has in it internal um, disruption, in- interpersonal disruption, distorted relationships interpersonally, uh, and then also has it also has uh, affect dysregulation and a negative self-concept, right? Because, because this is, because of these things that happen, these, um, you know, these, these developmental or relational or attachment traumas that happen, um, they're, they're internalized by, by children, you know, children, absolutely. Children can't see themselves as good people in a bad situation. So they in turn say, what's wrong with me? So then the negative self and then the, the interpersonal issues and then affect dysregulation. So they're trying to figure it out. They're trying to make sense of it or whatnot. Right. Yeah. And then they create 
coping mechanisms and survival skills based on that. Absolutely. We even call them in NARM, we call them, you know, adaptive survival strategies, adaptive survival strategies, you know, and that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. That is so interesting. So I'm wondering, just thinking about depression kind of, I just want to like pull that out for one second and really talk about that. Um, As far as your thoughts on how much of it, and you know, even if this is something that's known out there of, you know, how much of it is is caused by genetics or is brought because of genetics or because of um, just brain chemistry? Yeah. So this is exactly what we don't know. This is exactly why I was giving you like the million word version of what, (laughs) what, what goes on with it, because there's no way, there's no way to boil it down to like a single thing. Like they can't just give you a a, a blood test. I mean, there's a, there are assessments to determine whether or not you're in a depressed state for sure. But sure. How, much of it, how much of that is, how much of that is genetic? And then there's, you know, epigenetics refers to those genes that you have that are then sparked to thrive or whatever, you know what I mean? Right. So, that are like so, triggered. So, triggered. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so, okay. so, you know, there may be even be two children in the same family who may be similarly genetically predisposed, but one of them has it more manifested manifesting in their, in their experience than the other. And we don't know how much of that is like the genetic piece versus the, you know, adverse child experiences, however, however it's experienced by them. And like we said, it's all, that's all the way from like, you know, being abused to like your own internal experience of whatever it is. I mean, when you're struggling with your sexuality is a huge one, but also like, let's just take example for, you know, the, the person who just has a miserable middle school experience. You know, it's just like all mean girls and all bad grades or whatever, you know, and then they have this whole experience, right. That is, you know, in combination with whatever epigenetic thing they have going on, right. You know, then in combination with just general development, who knows which pieces. And then even when people say, you know, there are some people I've come across this and having conversations with folks who say, oh, no, no, my grandma was depressed. My grandma's grandma was depressed. And, and my, um, you know, I'm depressed. And, and I'm sitting there thinking like, you know, I'm not saying there's not genetics to this. However, there's also something called intergenerational trauma. Right. You know, there's also what is passed down, you know, um, I mean, addiction. Addiction is in part, it is a genetic, but it's also a learned behavior. I mean, if you grow up in a house where drinking is what's done when people are celebrating or dying or doing whatever they're doing, then that is what you do. And right. Then, and then if you don't choose something different, see something different or have different you know, experience in your lifetime, then that is what your children do. So right. now, now is that because there's a really strong genetic, you know, how big is that genetic piece towards alcoholism versus how much of it is towards what is passed out? I don't, I don't think anybody knows. I think anybody who says they for sure know, I don't think they do. <laughs> no, that's just, no, they strongly believe they strongly, they, they strongly believe they might, might, they might have some, you know, they might have some, uh, some research to point to, you know, they're right. certainly, they're certainly doing some neuroscientific research where they're showing, you know, different parts of the brain lighting up. But then again, I'm saying, is your brain lighting up because that's what you learned in your, your home with your parents or is your brain lighting up because your brain would light up no matter what? Right. I, I don't know. Right. Because none of this can be done in a vacuum. Right. Right. So um, I think it's just a, it's one of those just giant and soups. Yes. Which we love, don't we? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for everybody out there, we, that's we right. Well, 
We have. We have learned to love or we've learned to at least be fascinated by just a good total quick aside here, but I have to give credit where credit is due. And and I've written a number of times using the concept of and and I've talked about it on my show and you all have to know that Maureen is who I learned this from. <laughs> so she is the originator of the concept of and, which mm-hmm. is no, no, so not fantastic. the originator, not the originator, no? the, one, the one who shared it with you. Wow. Yeah, no, I'm giving I mean, you it credit. comes from, it comes from, you know, <laughs> you know, it comes it, from you. I'm just letting it come from you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and maybe, you know, you know how I like words. And so I may yeah. come up with a little sayings and whatnot, but it is, it is certainly something that, that has been, you know, shared with me throughout my, my studies and meeting different people. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it is certainly extraordinarily helpful. And when you are trying to kind of sort through, yeah. Right. All of these feelings and, um, well, you know, at the, at the core, we are surviving. You're out where you are in any given moment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that, in all of this that I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, I see us as being, you know, um, so hardwired for survival, right? We're really pretty genius. And, yes. and so, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of people's stories by now and, um, and, and they're pretty genius for how they got by and what, what they did. And, um, but it does lend itself to sort of that survival energy, you know, you sort of like your prefrontal cortex gets a little bit shut down and then it's like, there's not a lot of gray, you know, black and white becomes your friend because you got to get things done. You got to figure things out. And so for people who've had considerable, um, complex trauma, um, that it takes a while to be able to get into that and space, that gray space, because for so long, what you got by with was very helpful, that black and white and, and do it this way and see it this way and move on through, you know, as opposed to like, well, maybe it's this and that, you know, that's very threatening initially, I think. I think you're right. I think you're right. But I think once you allow yourself to kind of embrace it, it's actually pretty incredible. Um, and at least I know in my personal experience, I've been able to not only see so much more, but I'm so much more calm because of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's just helpful. Yeah. I think it puts us in better perspective with that idea of threat. You know, the threat is no longer imminent, you know, it just feels like it is at times. Right. 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 Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I'm wondering, um, just circling back to depression again, but, um, for, you know, specifically parents who are listening, who, you know, might be checking off those boxes of, you know, with, with their, their child and thinking, okay, oh, you know, they're, they're sleeping a lot. They're don't seem to have the interest. They don't. Yeah. What are, what would you recommend that they do kind of in, in order of support for their child? Yeah. I think the biggest thing in my opinion is just talk to them. Just, just try to see if you can engage them in a conversation and, let them know that you're noticing that they may not be, you know, feeling so great and that you don't want them to be alone with it, you know, and maybe share what you're, some of what you're seeing, ask them what their thoughts are, ask them why they think that they're in that space, you know, ask them if they would want to consider getting some support, you know, and, and here's the thing too, and the, the, you know, there's, um, 
true. There's, there's therapy and there's plenty of therapists, but there's other options too. I mean, there's coaches out there. There's, you know, there's, you know, maybe some kids need to just, you know, maybe do you want to try yoga for a while? Like just, maybe they just need to start trying stuff, you know, to be noticed. Maybe they need to be more in touch with their physical body. You know, I don't know, you know, and, 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 and I think if you can approach them, here's the thing that's so interesting with adolescents is like, I know that they're not fully developed, but they are so smart. They are so, they are so smart and they are so, they are little people, you know, they're not, they're not, they're not children. Now I don't, I cannot speak for like children, children. I just have never, ever, ever worked with that population. So I wouldn't want to, to say like, if you're listening to this, you have an eight year old or nine year old, you know, please talk to your pediatrician, find other people that you respect to talk to. I'm just not sure, although I never think it's too young to have a conversation, to have gentle conversation about just trying to join them in their internal world and what actually is going on for them, you know, Um, because that's that that's that allows them to get in touch with whatever's going on in them. See, then already you can have a conversation like that with your with your child or with your adolescent. You've already invited like their agency into it. Like, what do you think is going on with you? What do you think you need? They're not, do not, they're, you're not objectifying them. You're not saying all the other kids are going to baseball and doing school. What's wrong with you or all this or what's, you know, or what last year you weren't like this or da, 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 da. that's, that's all, that's all objectification. Make them the right. subject, make them the subject. Think subject, right. think subject, not object. Hey, what's going on with you? I'm just noticing some, am I, am I reading this right? Like give them lots of space to talk right. to you, to talk to you and to let you know. You know, and and they may say like I don't know, and then I think it's just how can I help? How can right. I? Help? You know, because there may be there may be lots of things that they want to try. You know, and of course I think therapy is fantastic for those that are open to it. You know, but I also think healing can happen in other ways. I think that all healing, well, I don't know, maybe that's too strong. Most healing happens in relationship. You know, and so, like I said at the top of this conversation, that I believe the clients do their healing. You know, I'm just—it's done in the context of our relationship, which is really powerful. You know, right. you know, you can also apply that to, you know, in some ways to to a parent-child relationship. Now, adolescents, you know, um, also don't want to tell their parents everything. You know, correct. So that's the other thing: is don't push for the details. Just try to stay with like how how they're feeling, you know, and if they're being a little evasive, let them. Yes. Yes. Stay with them, stay with them in the feelings, stay with them where they are, but don't start pushing them for the details of what happened at the party with Susie or Johnny or whatever. Um, Let them have, have their space, let them share what feels right for them. And if you're, you know, a a PS and you know this Heather, because I've said this to you so many times, you know, as a parent, you are also 50% of the relationship. You know, so right. if you are seeing something that is really concerning, that has you so concerned, you know, then, you know, then I would, um, you know, encourage you to, you know, if you're trying to talk to them and it's not working, go get some help for yourself to figure out how you best want to help your, your adolescent or your child. Right. Of course, all of this is contingent upon the fact if you think that they are in any kind of imminent danger, then you you do what any parent does. You do whatever you have to. And even if it's right. Well, that's totally different. Correct. Yes. Correct. And, um, and I would say to that, um, specifically that you will know, you will feel it in your gut. Yeah. 
And, yeah. um, and you're not wrong. Right. Typically your gut is telling you something. It's not wrong. Correct. Um, so especially in Heather, um, I love, I love how you said that. Cause I think what parents do well-meaning parents and I'm a parent, Oh, I'm a well-meaning parent. Um, <laughs> who's just that when she's not being, right. working, you know, um, but there's this ten, this tendency to get up in the head, you know, and go through like the, Oh, but I'm seeing this and I'm seeing that. Well, and I heard this person say that and Oh my gosh, when Oprah had this person on and I saw this on a podcast, it's settle down, sit with your child or sit with what you know to be true about your child. And if your gut says, do something, do something. You know, yes. but don't, don't spend hours up in your head allowing yourself to be, you know, absolutely taken for a ride by every article you've read and everything that's happening out there. Come inside you mm-hmm. and sit and see, like, and check it out. And if your gut's telling you, then yes, I say, you know, do do something even if they're not gonna if they're not gonna like it. You know, but the uh, but if it's not like that, if it's not you know, if it's not gut wrenching or you know, life critical, then my other my other um, starting place would, would always be the preferred starting place, you know? And then, and then even if they are open to, to therapists and you know this about me too, like I, I would, any, you know, adolescent, I'd say here, here are some choices, you know, do you want to interview them, talk to them, see if you like them. Yes. This is what I thought. What do you think? You know, and if you don't yeah. like, you know, A, B and C, we'll go shop for D. Exactly. Know? Yeah, exactly. That is so huge. You know, th- thinking about just our process with Connor, but you know, his first couple times with therapy, it was definitely yeah. we were in crisis, and we we found the therapist, right, or we found the program, and then you know, and and you d- you helped so much and when when he was coming back. We had, we had time, right? So we were able to say, okay, let's, I, I did the shopping ahead of time and I had, you know, I interviewed a large number of people and narrowed it down to like three or four, I think that then Connor interviewed Yeah. and, um, yes, this takes time, but it is vitally important. Yeah. Um, because if, you know, if you're not connecting or if your child isn't connecting, it's would be more fun to just light the dollars on fire. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And by the same so, token, if you say here's three and they like the first one and they're like, no, I really, really liked him. I really liked him. Let them try. If you, and if you know them to be, you know, someone that you think would work well with your, your child then let them try it, you right. know, so there's not, you know, if there's not a formula, there's just space, just right. space, just choices. How many times I've said that, right? Exactly. Choices. But I think sometimes the choices thing can be a little bit scary. Yeah. Um, because that's something I wanted to circle back to as well, where I think as parents, we're so wired to a lot of things, especially as as they're, you know, when they're children, it's black and white, right? Yeah. A lot of things are black and white. And um, you know, as then as they grow into adolescence and their their teenage years, young adulthood that it does become so much more gray and being able to sit when they are in these spaces of struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a lot of complexity. It's super uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, And it's, I, I think it's very, you know, I know it's very uncomfortable to sit there and know that your child is struggling 
but to just listen to them and let them know that you're hearing them and asking, you know, instead of saying, well, I think this is going on or I think whatever, Absolutely. Allowing them, asking them open-ended questions, like Maureen just said, you know. Yeah. And I know that's scary to, I think that can be scary to a lot of parents, right? It it is. Um, It is. My advice would just be sit with it, let it be uncomfortable. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, um, a certain, um, level of, uh, intolerance in our culture for discomfort and discomfort's not always bad. It's not necessarily bad. It's maybe very, very, very uncomfortable. And it might be exactly right for this moment. You know, so sometimes when someone's really uncomfortable, that's what propels them to a certain, to to get up and say like, uh, you know, I want out of this discomfort or to say, what is this information in this discomfort? You know, discomfort in and of itself is not necessarily bad, but we have such a intolerance in our society for it that we think we're supposed to fix it, fix it. You know, especially if you're a parent. Right. Fix it. Your child's uncomfortable. Your child is hurting. Do something. It's like, well, listening is a huge something and it is uncomfortable to let them still be sitting in their discomfort, but Mm -hmm. it might be really important discomfort. Right. Yeah. It's really, really hard. And so that's, of course, I'm not going to be able to help myself, but to say that a lot of times, um, I think that the best thing the parents could do is get their own therapy. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like they're like, fix them, fix them, fix them. And I'm sometimes sitting there thinking, should I ask you if you'd like an appointment? Should I, what do I do? You know, because I just, you know, that's a, that's a great place to start because there is no way that you can not have your stuff come up as you parent your, particularly adolescent and young adults, because that stuff is fresh. It feels a little bit close to the surface, whether you're 40, 50 or whatever, um, it's, there's no way that it's not there, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's not, you know, again, this is not always a bad thing. It's an important thing though, you know, because that's another thing that, that this is back to the objectification or sort of what you were just saying, Heather saying, well, this is what I think is going. I think this is going on. Sometimes half of that or over half of that is actually what happened to mom or dad when they were 14 or 15. And they don't know. We don't know it. We're just being human. It's not anybody's, you know, it's just, you know, that sort of that projecting what your past pain was into like where they're, where they are right now. Right. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes, we have. Yes, we have. That That is very, very, very true. Talking about having these conversations with your child and um, listening to them actually kind of works rather well into um, the next thing we want to talk about, which was, um, or which is, what is meant by environmental failure? So environmental failure is part of, um, of the complex trauma. It is, I mean, really, essentially, it's um, anytime the environment does not meet the needs of the individual. I mean, that's pretty broad, but it's also, I think, accurate. So, you know, this can happen at home, obviously, in lots of, in lots of different ways. Uh, this can happen at school and does mm-hmm. often. There's a lot of, edu- there's a lot of educational trauma, I believe, um, that happens with, you know, people who have different learning styles or, um, I mean, there's all kinds of, all kinds of things, not to, and that doesn't even include the social component, 
you know. Right. But right. But yeah, anytime that there's, you know, an, an unmet need of of an individual because because their environment can't or doesn't um respond, you know. Um, right. So and and like okay. I said, it can be it can be home, it can be school, it can be the playground. It can be, you know, certainly the, um, um, is social media an environment? I don't know, but just that world that the young right. people live in with all of that. I feel um, like it kind of is. With all the influence of that. Mm-hmm. So it is, there is their environment, part of their environment, their world is that there's the social media arm to that. You know, there's always been the social component. There's always been mean girls and there's always been, you know, got, you know, bullies, right? Bullying's been right. forever. Um, but it's, you know, it takes on a whole new level with the, with technology influence. Lots of, lots of ways we could talk about that. And and I'm especially thinking about your listeners, um, as it potentially is many of them are parents of, um, you know, um, I'm afraid to say the letters because I'm afraid I'm going to say them in the wrong order. L G B T Q Q. Thank you. Um, and I know of the letters, I'm just afraid. I just want to be very respectful, but you know, I mean, just that, you know, just, I mean, coming out, um, or, or not, you know, maybe not knowing, or right. maybe, or maybe, I mean, there's so many different, you know, things that the environment, meaning the culture that we're in, do not respond mm-hmm. to in a way that is, you know, that, that environment fails those, those young people much, much of the time. Much of the time, Correct. you know, and even when you get into, you know, some places that are starting to acknowledge, recognize and do a little bit better with it, there's still a lot of environmental failure there because they might get a pocket of it when they go to the, their club or when they go to like, you know, the, there's like the certain really understanding teachers or, or, or counselors or, or whatever, but there's still the other, however many hundreds, if not thousands of kids in the school, perhaps. Right, um, right. And or not to mention what they might be doing with their own internal dialogue about it because they don't want it. They do want it. They, you know, I mean, there's um, but that's 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 internal back to so the, the environment can fail them in many, many ways. Right. Well, I think that's, you know, I, I just wanted to touch on that a little bit just to kind of, you know, add it to just so people are aware of the different factors that are you know, yeah. rolled rolled into um yeah. And to depression and, you know, depression specifically, you know, mental health in general. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also largely in talking about kind of the, the current state yeah. of our culture in America, just Oof. where we are as a culture. I mean, if you're even, not, if you're not acting in or acting out on some level right now, I, you know, that, that, is miraculous because it is a, uh, environmental challenge. Like I've never seen, um, I've read about some things in some history books, but I've never seen anything, never seen anything like this, you know? And, and, and that is when the, when the environment fails, the individual, typically there's going to be some form of acting in or acting out. Right. And, and, and so, um, and the acting out, is not hard to define right now at this point in time. You see it all over the place. People, I it, it, people, I keep saying this to my my friends who are in the field. I'm like, boy, people aren't just saving it for the room. You know, the room that they're sitting in, or, or the Zoom call, if you will, now is that we're doing it nowadays. But people right. stuff is hanging out everywhere. Those who are 
um, you know, wanting to, to protest and, and have their, their voices heard. I think that's, that's something separate, you know, than the acting Absolutely. out, the act, the acting out is, is, you know, it tends to, to be, to be a little different. I, you know, the environment that we're in right now talk about, you know, inconsistent, erratic, unpredictable. Um, and then I don't think there's ever been a point in time where, you know, people have been so divided. And so on, I mean, I don't you know, I don't know about you. I'm probably dating myself, but I remember growing up coming of age, if you will, like the late seventies or whatnot, you know, being a, you know, teenager, young adult. And I mean, Democrats and Republicans were married to each other. They bicker about it. We'd have conversation, but it was like, you know, there were conversations. Now it's like, it's, it's breaking families apart. It's, it's really something, it's really something else, you know? And I, 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 um, yeah, it's, it's hard to watch. It's very, very hard to watch. It's very hard to watch. And I think that one of the things that I've thought about a lot recently with this is there's so much going on in so many different areas of our culture that we can't do anything about really, or we can do very little about it. Right. There's like yeah. this whole, and I, and you know, our kids feel that much less, you know, they're, and even the things that they don't understand, they still feel the energy of it. They still are getting it right. They're getting it, you know, if they're on, if they're on social media, which, you know, a lot of the, most adolescents and teenagers are, yeah. um, they're seeing the stuff, even if they don't want to, it's coming across their feeds and it's, you know, it's confusing and it's, yeah. and I think you're right with the divisiveness and just that you can you know, like I said, even if you don't truly understand what's going on, you still feel the hate and the anger and the, yeah. um, and I think that's, I feel like that just adds to where they are. Like they just, yeah. Well, if you think, if you think about what, I mean, most adolescents and children and people, quite frankly, um, do best with having, you know, feeling, you know, feeling like they're, you know, grounded. Right. And, and everything just feels so up in the air right now. Like you don't, you really, you don't know what's true. You don't know what's not true. You don't know who to, you know, you're kind of listening, but kind of wondering, am I, is this real information? It's so it's very dysregulating, you know? Yes. And, and I think for everyone, um, but particularly for adolescents, probably, they're, they're probably a little more sensitive to dis- dysregulation, you know? Probably. I mean, I think so. And I think the fact that we as parents are, dysregulated. I think they typically look to us, even if they're not asking, right. They're, they're feeling our energy, right. Or they're listening to what we're saying. And the fact that we're kind of like, what is going on? Right. Um, no matter where you stand on any of this. Yeah. Well, there's, 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 there is a lot of that. And there is quite frankly, Mm. some of like, I'll tell you what's going on and you better agree with me kind of a thing too, which is really frightening as well. I mean, to have that level of conditionality on, um, you know, it is really, um, it's very confining and in my opinion, quite damaging for parents to do to, to their young adult and or adolescent and or adult children. Yes. Yeah. Yes, very much so. Very much so. I'm wondering if you could just offer a few kind of final tips just to 
kind of pull everything together for everybody, you know, looking at depression specifically, but then, you know, mental health more generally, and then, you know, kind of dealing with everything that's going on around us. Yeah. What would be some, you know, some tips and strategies that parents could use with their their kids. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's such a, such a big question. Um, no, 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 it's okay. You know, it's interesting as you were, as you were asking it and I was listening and I mean, certainly there's, you know, we could be on here for another several hours together and just take a ticket, just be still at the couple, first couple bites out of the apple. Right. Right. But if I had to say one thing, and this is something that we, that, that we talked about and when I when I went to the neuroaffective relational model training, which I'm continuing to do, doing the master's work, you know, this I, there's this idea about connection and disconnection, right? As human beings, you know, and and it's connection to self and others, but first to self, right? And and we all need some disconnection and we all need some connection. So it's sort of like a, a fluid sort of a thing, right? Right. You know, I mean, we all need, you know, like if you have a really busy day at the end of the day, sometimes you just need to just, you know, have your nose in your book or be blobbing out to your Netflix show or whatever. You need that disconnection, you know, and likely you need points of disconnection throughout the day, like little rests, I would call them, you know, right. but, you, but you need, I think more than anything in this time, you need to be um, as connected to yourself as you can be. You know, so that example that we went back to, we were talking about the parent and I said, don't be thinking about the podcasts and the Oprah. I mean, well, think about it if you want, but like, sit, where's your gut? Get, you know, get connected with you, with you, who you know, who you are, maybe not entirely, but you know, and, yeah. and so really try to connect with yourself and then ask yourself, you know, this is one of my favorite questions. This isn't going to surprise you. You know, what do I need? What mm-hmm. do I need? you know, in this moment. And I even encourage parents, if they're worrying about their adolescent or their child, please still start there. Because when you get connected to yourself, and when you ask yourself, what do I need, you will proceed with a level of, of clarity and a level of, of openness and gentleness that you won't have otherwise. Because if you're constricted and disconnected from yourself and in your panic and in your worry, you're much more likely to miss cues to miss where the child's actually at to do to them instead of listening to them. All these right. things are going to be more likely if you're not connected to yourself, you know? So I would say really work on connecting to yourself. If you need help with that, get help with that, you know, and then also allow yourself points of disconnection, like know that you're a human being and that you need breaks, you know, and ask yourself, what do I need? Cause if you get quiet and you're connected to yourself and you ask, what do I need in this moment? I can, I mean, I know there are no guarantees, but I'd like to come as close as I could possibly to giving you one that that's the best starting point, you know? And then if you can keep in that connection to yourself while taking in information or while assessing things, you know, then you can begin, and you'll know I say this all the time too, right, Heather? To trust the process. Then you can begin to trust the process. And that doesn't mean every piece of the process is going to be fantastic. Sometimes part of the process is going to be downright horrible and you're going to be like, well, we're not going down that, you know, path because exactly. that's what's behind door number three. No, thank you or whatever, you know, but so part of the process is it's going to be messy and it's going to be part of it. It's going to be what you don't want and what you do want. But I think if you, you know, connect your, to yourself, ask yourself what you need and then begin and then proceed. And, and, you know, of course, I think everyone should ask for help, whatever that means to you, you right. know, I'm not selling. Right. I'm not selling therapy or coaching or counseling or any of it. 
although I think there's lots of good of good of it out there. Um, you get to decide what you need. Um, and, and, and just ask for help in general. I think that's really, really important. I mean, I, I hope everyone heard that because as I think as parents, especially, we often forget that we, we get to decide what we need. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and as you can imagine, if you're struggling with your adolescent, it may seem so ridiculous. You're like, who is this crazy woman telling me to say, what do I need? But I'm telling you that if you, if you can answer that question, you might just need um, more information. You might, you might need someone to help you calm down so that you can get better sleep so that you can be, have a better understanding and so that you can better be available to connect to your adolescent or young adult or child. It's counterintuitive, but it is the starting point. It really is. I mean, I can, I will tell everyone out there that that is, it really is. I mean, that is, you know, one of the, the very first things that I, that I learned from you. Um, and it's hard to do if you are not, if you've never done it before, if that's not how you work, which most right. people don't naturally work that way. Right. No, and we don't live so, in a world, we don't live in a world that upholds that as the value that, that, that we should, you know, we live in a world that tells you that the people who have the answers, the people who are in charge, the people who have the letters behind their names, the people who have more years, you know, being they're older or whatever, all of these things are what qualify you, you know, and that you should have the answers and fixing should be the way. And it's only, only seen it work well the other way. I'm here to tell you. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so yeah, it's very countercultural, counterintuitive, um, and yet so profoundly important. And it works. It works. Yeah. So I'm, I'm living proof. Yeah. 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 I mean, and I think that's the other thing. That's why I'm like, I'm not, I'm never, I'm never selling because I, I'm, I'd rather just live and share, you know, and that's what, that's what my world is. So it, it works. Yeah. Yeah, It does. It really does. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me. I really you appreciate are... the opportunity. I, I feel so, I would like, there's so much more to say and so much more to, you know, but um, I'm so pleased that you started this podcast and that people have, you know, this is another way that people can be not alone, you know, right. and this is where people can, can get help and get ideas and, and, or just, you know, a break or maybe just in uh, maybe just in the shared understanding that other people are struggling as well. You know, exactly. Yeah. All of the above, all yeah. of the above. I mean, that's, yeah. that's why I'm doing this. And yeah. you know that this is a passion for me. And yeah. so thank you because yeah. you've been just such a huge part of my journey and getting me it's an honor. a place where I could do this. Yeah. So, well, it's been, it's been my honor. And as I said, you know, the healing happens within and because of the client and in, in the context of the relationship. So it's been a real privilege for right. sure. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. So this is where we are going to leave everybody for today. Thanks so much for joining us. And I just want to, you know, this actually is very relevant to our conversation today, but everybody just remember to take that breath, that simple breath to calm you, to center you, will give you so much strength and clarity. It's so very important. Email me at any time with ideas or feedback for Just Breathe. 
please review Just Breathe on whatever platform you are listening to it on. Subscribe to my website to stay informed. And um, you can also sign up for my monthly newsletter as well as access tons and tons of resources. You can join the private Just Book just breathe Facebook community to chat with other parents and allies. And finally, please share with anyone who needs to know that they are not alone. Until next time. Does the thought of using pronouns respectfully or understanding certain terms in conversation make your palms sweat a little? No one likes that deer in headlights moment. So many of you have emailed me with questions on this topic, so I thought I'd put together a free guide so you can have all of this info just a click away. Pronouns Made Easy covers pronouns, of course but also includes information on some of the most common confusing words and concepts, as well as a list of timely resources. Who can say no to a free lifeline, right? Just click on the link in the show notes or on the gorgeous graphic on the Chrysalis Mama homepage and a free copy of Pronouns Made Easy and a huge sigh of relief will land in your inbox.